Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Mojo Mondays with myself and Coach Carly. Hello. Hi, everybody. And we are going to have to get straight into this because I have to take our daughter to a party very, very soon. Yes. And you drew, you drew the short straw, didn't you? Because you actually have to go pick her up later. I know. I know. 11 o'clock. I'm like, that's way past my bedtime. It's way past uh, my bedtime. I tell you what, you're going to have to set an alarm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are we going to talk about this week? So we are going to talk about anxiety. Um, I, I'm doing my master's in counselling and I've just finished a, an assignment, which I did on generalised anxiety disorder. And I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to talk about it because I learned a lot mm-hmm. um, and learned some pretty shocking kind of stats too that um, I would like to share. So um, generalised anxiety disorder is one of the most common disorders um, in Australia and and around the world. And the Australian Bureau of Statistics did a survey, it was um, 2020 to 2021, and um, 16.8 of people aged 16 to 85 years, which is 3.3 million people, had a 12-month anxiety disorder. 16%? Yep, 16.8%. My God. That's mad. And And Women are and, more likely to than males. Yes, yes, and and particularly when we get to to teenagers as well. I think that aren't they the highest group? Um, female teens. One third, which is thirty one point five percent of people aged sixteen to twenty four years, had a twelve month anxiety disorder, and forty one point three percent of those were female. And this is over a twelve month period. So they're pretty right. shocking stats, and they have increased substantially since the last survey was done. I can't remember by how much, but it was pretty yes. significant. Yeah, I think I think it's something like fifty percent increase since the last survey. Right? It is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, the, the increase in, in generalized anxiety or in all anxiety conditions because there's other ones, isn't there? There's like phobia and and things. Yeah, like there's that. social phobia. There's agoraphobia. Um, yeah, there's like about seven of them. Um, right. My particular. Um, assignment that I did was on generalized anxiety disorder. So, um, which a lot of people have it. And generalized anxiety disorder is is more anxiety is about fear, whereas GAD is more about worry. So you worry about the different areas of your life, and you worry something bad is going to happen. That type of thing. Oh yes, I remember you telling me there was a cool research study in fMRI um, that that distinguished between the brains of people with generalized anxiety disorder and some other types of fear-based anxiety yeah. in that their brains um, reacted differently to things like fearful faces and stuff like that, right? So it's a worry. It's the worry wart, right? Yeah, yeah. So it uses a different part of the brain, different part of the brain that lights up than normal anxiety, which is fascinating. Mm. It, it is pretty pretty interesting. Now, the oh no, interestingly, so this is this is a, a disorder that is about primarily about worry. And how did what did you say it has to be for six months or something like that? They they so the diagnostic <clears throat> criteria, a lot of um health providers or health practitioners will use the DSM five, which is the diagnostic statistical manual, um, the 5TR, which is the latest one. So there is a criteria there and you need to have 
felt excessive anxiety or worry for at least six months and feel it most of the time. So it's between six and 12 months. But you go in for an appointment because you're struggling with anxiety and there, even though the Australian New Zealand College of Psychiatrists will have, have documented that the first line of treatment following an assessment must be psychoeducation and, and lifestyle factors, so mm. exercise, healthy eating, all the stuff that we do. But what's concerning me is that scripts are written really, really quickly. Um, and I think the, the the statistic that just spun me out was that in the United States and this country, about 85% of psychiatric medication is prescribed by non-psychiatric health professionals, so GPs. Who don't have a lot of training, and um, you know it should really be psychiatrists who are are doing the prescribing. But most, the vast majority, for mood disorders is written by non psychiatric um, physicians, which yeah. I find just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and our young people in particular, like this spike in anxiety. Obviously, we've had COVID. Um, and we know that mobile phones, the, the um, launch of the iPhone, which I think was 2006 maybe, um, yeah. that, that mental health disorders have skyrocketed since then. It's like that. this generation is the most connected generation ever, but they are the most disconnected and the most lonely. And there's studies being done, generation, generational studies being done to show that this is the loneliest generation yeah, that's, and, that's... and um, the psychologist Jean Twenge, um, she's written a number of books, published a whole heap of research papers on this, um, iGen, the narcissistic generation, all of this stuff, and shows that that um, there is massive increases in anxiety, depression since the launch of, of the iPhone and, and social media, that teens are spending more and more of their their time, their free time on screens. They're on social networking sites. Um, there's a lot of comparison, and we've talked about that that before. Um, they are less rebellious. They're less curious. Um, they do less roaming. Grant Schofield, my mate from across the ditch in New Zealand, showed that in our generation, we would roam on average uh, about 5Ks away from our house as kids, and, and now the average is about 800 metres. Mm. Right. So, so they are just glued to screens, not interacting with the world, not and and, and even Grant has ta- has talked about, and I love this concept of of free range versus battery kids. Mm. We are raising a generation of battery kids um, that just are in the rooms on screens and and doing a lot less social interaction and and things like climbing trees when you're a kid is really, really important, right? It's that frontal lobe development of evaluating risk versus reward and slightly scurry but exciting. And then you fall off a tree and you hurt yourself and then you learn some stuff. And and our generation, this generation is really being robbed of it. And Yeah, it's, you know, and back to, to teenagers because that showed that, it's not it's not all teenagers it the ones that are most at risk are the the um quiet ones the what I'm thinking the word the introverts yeah because yeah. a lot of the the kids who are a bit more outgoing and they are connecting in person as well as 
um, through social media, but it's those who are introverted that are struggling the most and they're the ones that are withdrawing. They're Mm. just on social media as their connection. And what really concerns me is that um, really concerned parents uh, are taking their kids who are really suffering to get medical help because they don't have the tools and the strategies and the life skills to be able to manage all this discomfort and this pain that they're feeling. And that really worries me yeah. because uh, I it's, they, it's straight to medication and I think there's a lot on the parents as well because, let's face it, some of the parents as well are, are struggling themselves and maybe they don't have the tools and the strategies to to be able to pass on to their kids. And I think COVID just accentuated all of this. Yeah, and and it's interesting. I remember reading because I read your 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 assignment that um, the most prescribed medication for anti-anxiety drugs are SSRIs and SNRIs, selective serotonin and selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. They are antidepressant medication. Um, and they they are quite effective, but a massive amount of the effectiveness is placebo. Mm-hmm. So you look at at those studies when they do placebo control studies, the placebo works a bucket load of the time, right? And and that's that's pretty key. If a placebo is that powerful, um, that would suggest that there there isn't a fundamental flaw in the biochemistry of the brain. Another issue that I have with all mood disorders, it's not just me, um, uh, you know, this is from research that I've read, is that they are basically questionnaires. Mm. It's questionnaire and it's so freaking subjective. There is no biological trace, no biological Mm. signature, right? The serotonin hypothesis has been well and truly debunked, right? So, you know, if you have COVID, there is a biological signature, Right? You can actually tell, and if you have heart disease, if you have diabetes, we can tell exactly, but there is none of these things for mood disorders. So it mm-hmm. is very subjective, by, um, created by a bunch of psychologists who no doubt have been influenced by the drug industry um, uh, in terms of the the, the making of, of all of these uh, questionnaires to determine it. But um, I think uh, also the Julia Rucklidge, Professor Julia Rucklidge, I'm going to get back on the podcast. Um, she is brilliant and showed a whole heap of studies over in New Zealand that she's been doing that showing that nutrients are at least as effective, if not, in fact, she's shown consistently way more effective than um, psychiatric medications. And, mm-hmm. and that's key because it plays into the lifestyle factors again, right? Mm-hmm. We know that the people with the worst diets are teenagers. Right. You just need to look at any school talk shop and what is sold in those talk shops. We know that in this country, um, more than half of all calories um, are ultra-processed foods. We now know that those ultra-processed foods um, contribute to mood disorders because they disrupt the gut microbiome and there's this gut-brain axis. We also know that only 2% of teenagers in this country meet the recommended guidelines for physical activity. So for teenagers, it is 60 minutes a day and Mm. only 2%. Now, when you look at the impact of exercise on brain function, um, to to just to to not have kids moving, it absolutely destroys the brains. And, Mm. And I think that 
so much of mood disorders can be solved by doing the fundamentals, right? Moving. Sorry, I was going to say, if I was a GP, I would be getting out my script pad and I would write, be writing a script for exercise and handing it to the parents. And the research shows that when GPs write a script for exercise, people are much more likely to do it. Mm. Right? Yeah, write a script, right? And, and I was talking to a lady, I can't remember where it was, and, and she, she went because she had problems with depression and her GP wrote two scripts out, one for an antidepressant and one for exercise and said, wow. it's up to you what you do, but I recommend that you do the exercise thing. And she did the exercise thing and got better. Not That's sure. amazing. Everyone should go to that GP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and any, any GPs that are listening to this, you just write scripts, right? Because it's been shown that people are much more likely to do it. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think that we really need to talk about here when we're talking about lifestyle is sleep. Mm. Uh, because we know that sleep is worse. Right? And, and if you, the research shows that um, poor sleep, massively contributes to anxiety and depression. And then when you get anxiety and depression, your sleep gets affected more. I know if I don't sleep, if I have a really bad night's sleep, I I can feel my moods. Like I I can really struggle the next day. So the kids who are on their iPads or their screens late at night or they're gaming until 11. Or social media, the social media stuff is pretty shocking and uh, look i i'm pretty hardcore you know when i'm talking at conference i say to parents um if you let your kid bring a device into their bedroom it's tantamount to child abuse Mm. and that's pretty hard core message but think about it kids who bring a device into their bedroom sleep on average one to one and a half hours less than their peers and have double the risk of mental illness Mm. like what else would you let your kid do that would have no benefit, yet would double the risk of mental illness. It's crazy. Do you know the other thing that you wouldn't allow to happen is all those people, all those people they're connecting with on social media, you're bringing them into their room. So you wouldn't allow them to be there in person. You'd be like, go home, go to bed. But you're allowing them to connect through the device. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think that the the take-home here and 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 look I, I, it's not that i i i don't empathize with people who have anxiety and you know i know people who mm. get anxiety and it's horrible right and for some people medication can be a lifesaver however um the first port of call should be uh, if your mental health isn't great it's around exercise it's around good sleep hygiene it's around sorting out your diet um, and then if there's still issues, then it's medication. Or if you do go to medication because it's crippling, you've got to do those other things in tandem. Yes, yeah. And I think it's important also to understand that there is a, a spectrum of anxiety. So, mm. you know, it, when it, if you see the first signs of it, if your teenager or your child is struggling, the very, or if you're struggling, the very first signs that's when you get onto it straight away and you don't wait. A lot of people who are struggling wait quite a while. I think it might even be up to three years before they actually go and seek help. And at that point, it's really tough. Yeah. So go seek help early 
but lifestyle factors has to be the number one yeah, choice. Help, help yourself. And look, I think the other thing for people um, that'd be really useful, the nutrients that, that Julia Rutledge uses, they're commercially available. I think they're the best nutrients in the world. They're Hardy's. Um, H-A-R-D-Y. Um, so you can go and just Google Hardy's Daily Essentials. These are specially formulated nutrient um, to support the brain and nervous system because what a lot of people don't realize is that when you are stressed and, and worry can cause stress, right? Um, is that the, the, the body will rob the brain and central nervous system of nutrients to make stress hormones. So you see then depleted levels of nutrients in the brain. And I think that's one of the biggest drivers behind um, a brain that is not working particularly well is one that is, is, is not getting good nutrients. So you combine, you know, stress with a shit diet and a lack of exercise like that is just terrible for the brain. Mm -hmm. yeah. So anybody wants to do it, um, I have a discount code with Hardy's. I pass all of it on. Um, so MBBP for mind, body, brain performance, MBBP 25, and you'll get a 25% discount if you go to Hardy's and, and they have to be imported from Canada. So it takes a little bit of time. Um, and if you are on medication, they do have practitioners who can can talk to you or talk to your GP about um, that process of taking the nutrients with the medication because there's certain things that you got to do that that's beyond yeah. my scope of practice. But I think they're uh, essential, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, it is about making sure that you're exercising, good diet, really good sleep hygiene, and and get on the nutrients as well to support the brain. And if people did that, you'd find the amount of the percentage who would actually need medication would be way, way lower. Mm, absolutely. Okay, folks. So that hopefully that may be of use for some people. Um, and so it's really about getting your own house in order uh, to, to basically support your brain. Yeah. Um, especially in times of stress. Oh, there was one other thing. I knew there was something in the back of my mind. There's a really cool paper, and I will link to it, where they took people with generalized anxiety disorder, right? And they got them to journal everything that they were worried about. I think it was for about a month. And then they followed them up a year later and found that 91% of stuff that people worry about doesn't come true. Wow. Why didn't you give me that paper when I was doing my assignment? Oh, shit. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> All right. So I think this is the end of the podcast, listeners, because I'm about to get a beating. Damn it. All right. That's it for this week, folks. Catch you next time. See ya.